Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live. My name is Carl Bimbridge, dressed appropriately for the occasion, and I'm joined by the Morecambe to my wise, the Reeves to my Mortimer. It's John Marsh in MMA. John, thank you once again for joining us. Admittedly, on short notice, this was all a bit of a bit of a last minute deal. What's up, Carl? What's up, INC Live listeners? Uh, yeah, happy to be here as always. We're typically breaking down a pay-per-view, but this week we're going to be, you know, recapping the entire 2021, mostly focusing on the UFC, but I'm sure we'll touch on some other organizations as well. And just giving, you know, a recap of the sport of MMA in general for the past year. And as I said before, this was very much a last minute um, sort of video setup because Obviously, with Christmas being around, a lot of the commitment towards the um, the main channel, I haven't been able to do as many live videos as what I would ideally like, sort of post-fight recaps. And I didn't want to run the risk of going five or six weeks before posting something else on the channel. So uh, I got together with John and we thought, let's just give our fans something, a little something extra to hold them over until we start again with Kata versus Chikatsi. So we thought, let's just do this sort of mock award show have a little bit of lighthearted fun, talk about everything that happened in 2021. Uh, it'll go for about 90 minutes and hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as we do because you have to say, John, 2021 has been one of the top years when it comes to mixed martial arts. Yeah, it's a bit hard to tell because, you know, the years blend together so much. But, yeah, when I was making my list, you know, kind of recapping the year, I did think it was a much better year than 2020. For example, obviously, we had the COVID shutdown. But I think just going over uh, the year, we had a lot more memorable moments, um, a lot better uh, fights, you know, not as many bad decisions thrown in there. So, yeah, I think it was a great year uh, for 2021 MMA for sure. So the format of this show is going to work somewhat of a, an awards show sort of format. Obviously, we're seeing places like Sherdog, Morning Combat, etc. They're doing all their best end-of-year awards. And this is going to work in a very similar sort of ilk. So what's going to happen is I'm going to choose one of my own nominees for a specific category. John's going to choose one of his own. And we'll talk about some of the sort of honorable mentions that neither of us nominated. So hopefully it's going to be a little bit of fun. Uh, a lot of it's on the fly, so if we mess up, that's just part of the charm of the show. So, But hopefully, fingers crossed, we don't do, because as we know from 2021, John, we've made some big, boastful comments on the show, and they've come back to backfire on us. Yeah, well, when you're analyzing fights, when you're putting your thoughts out there, you're going to be wrong a lot of the times. And, you know, the keyboard warriors in the comments will love to call you out and talk shit. But if you're giving your thoughts, I mean, we gave our thoughts on, what, 100 fights this year on the preview shown alone. And I, you know, analyzed every single fight. So you can go through those and find some fights I was completely wrong on. You can find some I'm completely right on, too. So, um, you know. It's going to be fun to recap the entire year to take it on a category-by-category category basis, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun breaking these down. I hope you guys listen and enjoy it as well. Well, as you can plainly see based on the T-shirt here, I am evidence that you can make predictions go very wrong. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we knew that you're, you're the biggest Juliana Pena fan in the world. No, I, I think am. The <laughs> I think the tattoo will be coming pretty soon, honestly, so That's look if she out wins for the that. second time. Yeah. If she knocks, if Nuna, if Pena knocks her out the second time, then uh, Carl's getting the tattoo. <laughs> we still got to do that, Shuey. Oh yeah, I know. I'm kind of like delaying that, delaying the inevitable. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll be doing that. We'll record the Shuey. We'll have that for the uh, the Gain versus Ngannou card. So I know people are probably probably eagerly awaiting that. 
Certainly so. Uh, and they're also eagerly awaiting some of our predictions. So as mentioned before, we've got ourselves nine or ten different categories for things that happened in 2021, breaking down. Um, so we're going to start off with the old adage of ladies first. And we're going to start off with our female fighter of the year. Now, there's been a couple of notable names that always seem to be doing the rounds. Of course, all of the UFC champions, uh, almost by default, going to be in consideration for this category. You can look outside the UFC for, obviously, Chris Cyborg and Kayla Harrison. My own personal prediction, though, I'm not going to choose a UFC champion. I'm going to choose somebody who, in my opinion, has had a fantastic year, but just not enough people uh, appreciating. I'm surprised that so many people are ignoring them when they talk about their best female fighter. What a good year Marina Rodriguez has had. Because mm. going into 2021, I felt that Marina, she was sort of like a solid top 10 fighter. She could cause some of those elite names some problems, but there were failings in her game. We saw that when she fought Carla Esparza. Maybe a takedown defense isn't as strong as you would ideally like. For me, when you're talking about the best fighter of the year, it's somebody for me who notably leveled up. Yes, they had the big wins to go with it, but there was a big jump from being a good fighter to a great one. And in my opinion, Marina Rodriguez did that. We start with January. Uh, Amanda Hebas has all the momentum going into 257, and Marina gets that upset win. Then there was a main card, main event up against Michelle Watson, comfortable work of that. And then derailed another hype train with the Mackenzie Dern win, where considering how good Mackenzie has been on this run of submission wins... At times, Marina made her look very amateur in that fight. And now we're talking about somebody who, what, 12 months ago, they were thinking of her as a solid top 10 fighter. Now they're saying she has a good chance of being champion. That, to me, is a fantastic year. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking of her, honestly. So that's a really good shout. Um, you know, she started the year as a big underdog to Reboss. She lost round one. The fight wasn't going her way. And then she just iced Reboss with that one punch. Uh, that infamous terrible Herb Dean stoppage there. Um, then short notice versus Waterson up a weight class. Like you said, easy work of that. Had some difficulty versus Mackenzie Dern. Was in a real bad spot there, but then went on to win that fight comfortably too. So yeah, three big wins, um, two main event wins there. And I totally agree. She has uh, really leveled up. And, you know, the main people that seem to be talking about are um, the three UFC women's champions right now, uh, besides Nunez, obviously, uh, Rose had a great year with the head kick knockout and then the somewhat controversial decision against Zhang. Um, Shevchenko had probably the best single women's performance of the year against Andrade. You know, we all know how dangerous Andrade is and Shevchenko just absolutely mopped the floor with her, finishing her in, in brutal fashion. Um, and then the, the Lauren Murphy fight, not so much entertaining. And then, of course... Uh, Carl's favorite, Juliana Pena, pulling off the big upset. Um, two wins. Don't forget that she won the McMahon fight earlier in the year as well and uh, was an underdog in both of those fights, was losing both of those fights, turned both of them around and finished them both, and including one of the biggest upsets in MMA history. So my pick is going to be Juliana Pena. Um, but I like you're kind of thinking outside of the box and picking uh, Rodriguez on that one. I think for me... It, it's very hard when it comes... To, it's that big question of sort of quality versus quantity because, as you mentioned before there, obviously Pena has the big high-profile win that a lot of people are focusing on. And I completely get if people are choosing Juliana as their female fighter for the year. I understand why. But I think a culmination of Hebas, Waterson, and Dern, 
the sum of that is maybe greater than what Pena did, as fantastic as Pena did do, and we'll talk about that in a in a later category. I just think the culmination of those three was maybe outmatches it. But uh, there is no right or wrong answer. I do completely understand your argument. I will say a good point about Shevchenko, though, because we all know that Valentina is a fantastic fighter, and we do give her all the praise in the world for how talented she is. But I think the big argument you have against Shevchenko is the same thing that hurts Chris and Kayla Harrison. Even though we know they're good, it's hard to gauge how good, given the gulf between her and the rest of the competition. And you could say the same thing with the Lauren Murphy fight. That was a pretty much a non-fight that we all sort of knew Shevchenko was going to win. But mm-hmm. the way she took apart Andrade, bearing in mind there was a lot of people out there, including myself, who thought Andrade could cause some problems, to completely dismantle her in a way that we haven't seen a newer female fighter do, to me, speaks volumes. And I do, I do want to give Shevchenko a lot of praise for that performance. Yeah, and I mean, the odds are important. You know, the odds you predict the fighter's chances of winning the fight. And as you mentioned, Shevchenko, Harrison, Nunes, Cyborg, they're all infamously huge favorites going into their fight. They're expected to win, while Pena was an underdog both times. Rodriguez was an underdog in two out of three of those fights. So you got to consider that when throwing that in there. And um, two honorable honorable mentions I'll give are uh, Aaron Blanchfield. She came in making her UFC debut, fought two times in three months, two dominant decisions, um, very good performances from her. And Casey O'Neill making her UFC debut, very young fighter. I think she's like only 23 years old. I think she finished all three of her opponents as well. Um, you know, not the highest level opponents, but she still did win all three of her fights by finish in her debut year. So two really good years from those women as well. I've said for a long time, you know, women's flyweight is slowly becoming a stacked division. Like, if you look at some of the newcomers to the weight class, obviously Tyler Santos is most likely going to be fighting Chevchenko next. But you add her to Blanchfield, O'Neill, Miranda Maverick, who I'm still quite high on, Agapita seems to be finding her feet, Alexa Grasso, you've got some really talented fighters in that weight class. Yeah, Grasso versus uh, Araujo is a big fight coming up in uh, women's 125. So yeah, it's building momentum. So a good year for the uh, female fighters. It's also been a good year for fighters outside of the UFC because we do focus a lot, obviously, with this being a UFC show, them being the biggest promotion, that obviously they're going to get the majority of people's interest. But one of the big things that stood out for me in 2021, the quality of the promotions outside the UFC. Bellator have always had a bit of a bad rub when it comes to some of their output, but I think they've had a fantastic year this year. The PFL, big coming of age for them. One championship have got their TV deal in America. So there's been a lot of positives outside of Dana Whiteland. And we're going to celebrate that by looking at our best non-UFC fighter of the year. I had my first tip with this one, John. You can have first call with this. Um, so, yeah, a few names came to mind with this one. Um you know, Sergio Pettis was one that came into mind. He defeated Archuleta in a pretty dominant decision earlier this year, had that incredible comeback versus Kyoji. But 
I struggle to give him the award because, you know, he was losing the majority of that Kyoji fight um, before pulling off that incredible knockout. And uh, I think you probably got to give it to AJ McKee pulling off. Uh, I believe he was an underdog against Pitbull, um, the head kick knockout. And then, well, eventually he finished him with a guillotine. But to finish him uh, in, in fashion like that, uh, his, what, 17th win in Bellator or something like that. I think AJ McKee has got to get the uh, the award for me. I think so as well. For me, it's a real testimony to when a fighter outside the UFC garners so much interest that people... People who don't even watch non-UFC promotions are sitting up and paying attention. AJ McKee, for me, has been one of those people. Like, I think the, the Pitbull fight was the same week as Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland. I saw more people on places like Twitter and Facebook getting more hyped about that fight than they were For about sure. Hall versus Strickland. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, it's a testimony to, as well, that... He was a guy, he's pretty much built his entire career fighting in Bellator. So we saw him making his US, making his MMA debut, I should say. And then just slowly grinding through. Scott Corker doing the sort of slow build he normally does with prospects. And then finally coming of age in 2021. So I get the, I get the AJ McKee nomination. And more as a culmination of everything he's done to reach this point. As well as a, what, submit a knockout of Pitbull. Yeah, and um, I went first with my honorable mentions last time, so I'll let you start off with the honorable mentions for this category this time. Yes, my honorable mention. Now, this is one that you might not hear this name, but when you hear this name for the first time, you might think, who the hell is this guy? But again, it's a fantastic story, and it's one that really came of age in 2021. What about PFL champion Roush Manfio? Yeah, that was that was one of my two I was going to mention, so I'm glad you mentioned that one already. Yeah, now obviously there were some questionable decisions in there. Obviously the Clay Collard one is the one that most people come to mind. I personally thought the Collard won that one. But he was a guy who had been out the sport for two or three years, had been working as a janitor just to try and earn a living. He gets the call at the last minute to fight in the PFL lightweight tournament. And then during that time, he picks up... He takes up four wins, I should say. He beats Joe Linton, Luke Deback, Anthony Pettis, Claire Collard, and then in the final, Luik Ratzbanov. So four wins in the space of 12 months, and a guy who wasn't even in the competition at the start of the year is now a million dollars richer. Yeah, that guy is really fun to watch. He did have some, you know, somewhat controversial decisions. That's why he probably wouldn't be my number one fighter. If he had, like, dominant decisions over Collard and Pettis, um, he could be number one. Uh, but the the Loic fight was was a very clear win for him. Um, that dude is just mean. I, that's actually one of, like, the most underrated fights of the entire year for me. Um, that Mountfield versus uh, Roy fight, uh, or Loic fight, excuse me. And uh, this dude is just a tank. I mean, he's a physical specimen. I mean, he can box. He can stuff takedowns really well. Um, he's a nasty fighter in the clinch as well. So I am I really enjoyed watching him fight this year. And um, my honorable mention, the last one I'll mention, is a guy that by, goes by the name Rafael Stotts over in Bellator. Um, I love a he, good fighter. Yeah, very great. I mean, 
could be one of the best grapplers in the entire sport of MMA. He defeated Josh Hill earlier in the year, who is a really good fighter, uh, who has continued to win over in Bellator. And then he was a pretty sizable underdog, almost a four to one underdog versus Magomed Magomedov. And, you know, there was a lot of hype around Magomedov at the time going over to Bellator and uh, Stotts engaged in a grappling fight against Magomedov and was able to outgrapple Magomedov in that fight, which which was just, you know, unheard of to a lot of people going into that one. And uh, he really solidified himself as possibly one of the best grapplers in all of MMA. So definitely keep your eye out on him. Uh, he might be actually... It's interesting because he's 135 and Pettis is his teammate. It's gonna—I doubt they're gonna fight one another. Um, so it's interesting to see what's what he's gonna do next. So keep your eye out on him. I believe Bellator are gonna be doing a bantamweight tournament, 16 man. That's right. So there may be the possibility that they will have to fight each other if each continue each on the final. I think they're on the different brackets, so it's sort of a worst case scenario right now. Mm-hmm. That's a good mention. I hadn't, I hadn't remembered that. But yeah, that that bantamweight tournament should be a lot of fun. Who would you say has had the best uh, twenty twenty one out of the non UFC promotions? Um, I think I would give PFL the advantage over Bellator. Um, Bellator has kind of moved away from like the old man main events, you know, um, even when they did have the old man main event, uh, Fedor versus Tim Johnson, it went well, Fedor knocked him out, uh, in Russia, I believe. So, um, I think they're doing better moving away from like the Chael Sonnen, Rampage Jackson, Hoist Gracie main events that they had in the past. And, uh, their, you know, their tournament with the featherweight went really well, but the way the PFL was able to, to, build up their roster. Um, they took 2020 off, I believe, right? They didn't have any fights. They took a long time off, but they came back really strong. They had multiple divisions that were really entertaining. A few big underdogs came through in those divisions. And uh, I really think PFL was a lot of fun to watch this year. I think so as well. And the fact, and the fact they're starting to coax the bigger names and the USC veterans. Yes, you could say Pettis failed a bit for Doom, had that controversial finished in his uh, PFL <laughs> debut. Uh, Roy McDonald as well, a bit disappointing as well. But the fact they're actually coaxing those sort of names to their promotion, for me, speaks volumes. A lot of people are starting to take note of the PFL. The question is, will they be able to sustain it? Because you could argue a lot of that is built around Kayla Harrison with her sort of media focus. If she does choose to go to the UFC or Bellator, would the PFL be able to sustain it? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I care about Kayla Harrison the least of any division in PFL, honestly. Um, I mean, it's just she's a 10 to 1 favorite to win that every single year. She's beaten all the women she's fought over and over again. I mean, no no one wants to see her fight the same women over and over. Um, I mean, I'm a, a pretty vocal uh, critic of uh, Kayla Harrison. So I think they'll do well. And, you know, you mentioned them bringing in the other names, um, the outside names. That is big for them. But I think what is bigger is them actually building up these own original names uh, like Manfio, um, like uh, Loic, even though I think Loic has left the promotion since then. But um, they're, they're, they're really built. Ray Cooper, obviously, yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. Uh, Magomed Karamov, uh, they had a great fight. I mean, Ray Cooper is, you know, one of the most consistently entertaining fighters in all of MMA. So they're building up the, their own like legit names on the roster. You see guys like uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. move over there and have success. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed PFL this year. I wish them all the best. One thing you haven't enjoyed, though, is some of the idiocy 
which has happened in 2021. So in our third category, we are looking at the dumbass of the year. Now, your mileage is going to vary on this one. You could either go for people who did something so supremely god-awful and scummy that you have to call it out for it, or you could choose, like I have, to go for somewhat of a light-hearted choice. So I'm going to make my nomination for this one first, and I'll give you a question for you, John. Does the name Vyaslav Kiselev ring a bell to you? Kiselev. Hmm. Oh man, it sort of does. Is it like a Russian manager of some sort? He he. I don't know. What if I told you he was the Russian referee in the Dos Santos <laughs> versus Saint Denis fight? That's right. That's right. I remember that guy. Yeah. So he's, he's going to get one. my nomination because. For all of the criticism that we give people like Mario Yamasaki, Steve Mazzagati, Herb Dean in recent years, I have never seen a worse refereeing performance in one fight than I did from that guy. Yeah, and apparently he's like notorious for it. Uh, Caposa, the legend of Twitter, uh, watches a lot of Russian MMA, and he said, I've seen this guy before, and this is normal for him. He just lets guys die out there. So that's a really good shout. They put him on, um, you know, I mean, that poor Benoit St. Denis guy, I mean, got absolutely thrashed in that fight and somehow didn't stop it. I mean, that that went, I think that was up there with uh, Mike Davis versus Thomas Gifford for like mm. one of the worst stoppages in recent years. Um, so that's a really good shout from you. I actually think um, there was a video which did the rounds. He actually is an MMA fighter in his own right. He fought like during the early years. And there's a fight between him and Gilbert Ivel. And that did the rounds in the years afterwards because he gets absolutely smashed in that fight. And a lot of people say, and he just held a grudge against referees because the referee in that fight let him take sustained punishment. Yeah, sounds legit to me. Some some PTSD. Um, I have I have three names written down for my uh, dumbass of the year. Um, uh, number one. Uh, I did just tweet about this the, the other night, so uh, I hate to drag a guy while he's down, but J.P. Byes had a real rough mm. year, got divorced uh, from uh, the beautiful Cheyenne of Vismos, whatever her new last name is. Also lost both of his fights, got dropped seven times in those fights, so really rough year. But I don't want to be too harsh on that guy. I mean, he didn't make any like personal like decisions that led to that. Um, and then the other two I have is uh, Kevin Holland um, got dominated by Derek Brunson, you know, just treated that fight like a joke, obviously did not train his wrestling before that fight. And he was getting his ass kicked the entire fight. He was talking to Dana and Khabib on the sidelines, um, just, you know, bell to bell dominated there, looked terrible. And then instead of saying, oh, let me take six months off, work on my wrestling. He jumps right back in there against Marvin Vasuri and gets dominated in the exact same fashion. So I think I saw a statistic like he's fought for 50 minutes this year and he got controlled for like 37 of those minutes on the ground by Vittori and Holland. So um, dumbass decision making mid fights and also dumbass decision making to not take some time off work on your holes. He just jumped right back in there in a, a stylistically terrible matchup and just, you know, set him up, self up for failure. So really bad. I think that's going to be my number one. And the last uh, the last shout out I'll give is Derek Minner, who he did win one fight earlier in the year, but. He, he tried to finish Darren Elkins. Come on, man. He tried to he tried to finish Darren Elkins. And like many people before, 
Many have tried, many have failed. He gassed himself out like he always does, and he ended up getting smashed and finished in that fight. Also lost to Ryan Hall. Also posts uh, anti-vax memes on his uh, his Instagram all the time. So maybe he should uh, spend a little more time working on his cardio, working on his skills instead of posting anti-vax memes. Um, so I'll give Kevin Holland my number one dumbass of the year, though. Uh, a couple of honorable mentions from my regards, some of the people I, I fought about before the Russian ref. Uh, what about Yuel Romero claiming that he fought so conservatively against Phil Davis because he thought the fight was a five-rounder? That's a that's a bad one. I think he probably just made that up after the fact to excuse his performance. That's a good shout. Uh, Aspen Ladd, another good one mm. I'll give. I mean, I don't know what the hell that shit was. Missing weight at 135. And then putting up that terrible performance versus Norma Dumont. Uh, well, you actually did uh, somewhat spoil one of our next categories because obviously this has been a year of fantastic matchups, but with the great, you've got to have the trough as well. What is your worst fight of the year? Mm, yeah, I, I have a few written down for this fun one. So um, I think I'll go with. Uh, Laureano Steropoli versus Roman Delidze as the worst fight all year. Um, Delidze just clinched him and held on to him and kneed the back of his thighs for a full 15 minutes. And it was one of the most uneventful fights I've ever seen. And that's all you can really say about it. It was was a god-awful fight. And it was so... And I believe that Steropoli got cut after that fight as well. Uh, he actually fought Jamie Pickett and then got dominated in that fight as well. And uh, he's probably cut now, but they actually gave him another chance. <laughs> uh, normally, I'm a big advocate when it comes to women's MMA. I try and support it whenever I can. There have been a couple of women's fights, though, which really haven't set the uh, set the world on fire. Obviously, you mentioned before Aspen Ladd versus Norma DeMond, which was probably one of the worst main events of the year. Um, I think Liam McCourt's match up against, I think, Jesse Meal. I think in Bellator, that was the core to MVP versus Lima. That was a pretty mm. bad one. My vote, though, goes for the second UFC fight of the entire year and still stuck in my mind as a god-awful one. Vanessa Mello versus Sarah Morris. I've, I've heard some people shot this one out, and I honestly don't have any recollection of the fight. I mean, I'm familiar with those women, and I know that they're quite underwhelming. Um, but I, I guess I agree because I have no recollection of it. I mean, I guess it was 12 months ago, but um, that was pretty bad. Yeah, I'm just trying to get some of the stats on my screen right now. But um, this was pretty much seen as a as a sort of loser-gets-cut fight. Both girls were on losing streaks. I think Mello had lost three of three in the three. UFC. Miss Weight in two of those, too. And Miss Weight in two of those as well. I mean, <laughs> massive fives as well. So you can sort of... I don't know why she didn't stick around <laughs> at 145. She would have automatically been the number one contender. Right. She probably would have beat Nunez, too, you know, with how Nunez turned up. <laughs> um, but we're talking sort of sort of like throwing jabs from like 20 miles away. Like, you know how proper Michelle Watson just sort of like throws these kicks, which is completely nowhere near her opponent. It was pretty much that mm. for 15 minutes. And yet yeah. Morris, Morris genuinely thought that she won the fight. But mm. it was so bad, both girls ended up being cut. So Vanessa Mello <laughs> finally gets this UFC win. Thinks, yes, best moment of her career. I finally saved my um, tenure with the promotion. And the company say, no, that was so bad. We're getting shot of you anyway. Yeah, I mean, that just 
shows how desperate they are. They they needed to fill that spot on the card, and even though she won the fight, they still didn't offer her another fight. So that shows how bad they are. And uh, I have some more honorable mentions on this list. Two fighters that appeared on the list two times. That is Tiago Santos mm. in his fight against Johnny Walker. Main event, two explosive guys. Everyone was sure this one was going to end by knockout. I think it was minus 600 to end inside the distance. And they kind of just stared at each other for five rounds and didn't really do much. His fight against Alexander Rakic, not really Santos's fault in that one, but Rakic just pushed him against the cage, held him there the entire time. And uh, do you know who my second guess is, who had two awful fights this year? Two pretty high-profile fights as well. One was a main event, one was a pay-per-view main card. Do you have any guesses, Carl? Oh, I'm not sure about this one. You're going to have to tell me. Uh, Rosenstrike versus Gain Mm. uh, and Rosenstrike versus Blades. Just two uneventful fights, unmemorable performances in both of them. I didn't hate the Blades fight as much as what people expected it to. I think that's maybe because I I expected Blades to just lay and pray with him for the entire 15 minutes. And I think Voice and Strike somewhat made it kind of competitive. They weren't great fights, but um, I'm maybe a bit more forgiving of Voice and Strike. I think because on his day, we saw that against Sakai. On his day, when he unloads, he can be very enjoyable. Yeah, and he was pretty active this year. You got to give him some credit for that. On the subject, maybe sort of underwhelming fights, and I hate to say it because I do love the guy, and the fact these fights turned out the way they did isn't really his fault. Not a great year for Wonderboy. Like, the Gilbert Burns mm. fight underwhelmed, and obviously ended up getting dominated by Bilal, which, all credit to Bilal for neutralizing Wonderboy in the way he did, but not the most exciting. Yeah, just a really terrible year for him. It's a shame because he had that that Jeff Neal fight right at the end of 2020. Great performance there, but then 2021, just not his year. I mean, he fought for 30 minutes, and I'm sure he was controlled for over 20 of those minutes. Yeah, Bilal controlled him for 12 minutes, and I would imagine Burns did the same. Burns controlled him for seven minutes. So, yeah, he spent, uh, you know, 66% of the time in the octagon uh getting controlled the entire time. So rough, rough year for him. One of the things we do like to see when it comes to uh, mixed martial arts and especially the UFC is seeing some of these new faces enter the promotion. So obviously there has been a lot of big stars which have made their debuts in the company this year. You think of names like Alex Pereira, Paddy Pimblett, Ian Gary to name but a few. This is for our best newcomer of the year. So not necessarily a fighter's debut, but a fighter who... First entered the promotion in 2021 and has had a strong campaign. And this might be a bit of a strange choice, bearing in mind he's gone one and two with the promotion in 2021. But it's hard to say there's no UFC newcomer who has made a bigger impact than Michael Chandler. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, I kind of broke this category down into two sections, um, the debut fight of the year, like a single fight performance, and then the, the collective year as a whole. So, uh, I think the debut fight of the year, it has to be Michael Chandler. I mean, he jumps right into the top 10, Dan Hooker, co-main event to, um, 
Connor, Connor McGregor and Poirier, a lot of hype around Chandler. And he lived right up to that hype, knocking out Dan Hooker in the first round. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Um, I mean, no one has had such a, a high profile opponent and lived up to the expectations like Chandler, even though he had some rough fights after that, they were still entertaining. He still had a great year and, you know, Chandler has been a great addition to the UFC. And to bear in mind as well, obviously not only the, not only the, the uh, Dan Hooker win, but then to come very close to beating Charles Oliveira. People forget how good Michael Chandler's round one was in that fight. And then potentially, bearing in mind on who you speak of, it won't give too much away, arguably fights the year up against Justin Gagey, which, again, this is a guy who went one and two in the UFC. That may, in any other situation, that could really knock a fight stock down. But the quality of his performances in losing efforts has been such, I think he stocks even higher than it was coming into the promotion. Yep, but yeah, it's got to be. I mean, he lived up to the hype and then some. And, uh, you know, I hope they maybe give him uh, a few easier matchups in this next year because he need, he deserves to step down. He's fought three um, top five fighters in his first three fights. Give the guy, you know, a non-top 20 fighter. Let him get a win under his belt and let him raise his stock back that way. Um, and the last um, shout-out I'll give for debut performance of the year was Umar Nurmagomedov. He only fought once this year, but he fought Sergei Morozov, uh, you know, a great grappler, an established Russian fighter who went on to have another great win later in the year. And Umar just dominated him in that fight. And, uh, I mean, Umar is probably one of the most exciting prospects in MMA for me. Dynamic striker, great kicking game, and also has an amazing grappling game as well. So keep your eye on Umar in 2022. And also keep your eye as well on one of my nominees, Erin Blanchfield. You mentioned her as potentially a female fighter of the year. Two fights mm-hmm. so far, she made easy work of a UFC debut. I'm struggling to remember who it was she actually fought in the in Sarah a debut. Alpar. Sarah Alpar, unfortunately got cut her afterwards, Alpar. And then up against another highly ranked prospect in, uh, in Miranda Maverick, made comfortable work at a 269. Yeah, yep. Great shout out there. And this is, you know, more of the debut year thing, but some names, I'll just rifle a few off here. Um, we have Aaron Blanchfield, uh, Casey O'Neill. I mentioned both of them already. Um, Bruno Silva made his debut three knockouts in the UFC for Bruno Silva, the middleweight. There is another Bruno Silva, a flyweight. Uh, Manal Cop made his way into the UFC this year, lost his first two fights against um, Pantoja and Nicolau, two really really good fighters but both of those fights were close a lot of people thought he could have won those fights and then he went on to knock out Zuma Gulov and Ode Osborne in the first round so four fights in one year for Manal Kopp really good year for him uh, you mentioned uh, Ian Gary, Patty Plimblett. Wasn't too impressed with their debuts. I mean, they both struggled a good amount with Jordan Williams and Luigi Vandermini before picking up the knockout wins. Um, and then the last guy I'll mention is Pat Sabatini, 3-0 and in the year, uh, defeated uh, Connolly, Emmers, and uh, most recently Tucker Lutz. So real, real good debut year for the Philly guy. But I'll pass it back to you. Who is the number one debut year out of anybody you have to give? I intentionally didn't mention this fella's name. Oh, debut year. You, you, you're you're a fan of this guy. You know you know who it is. Break breakthrough star of the year. If you maybe that's a better hint. Breakthrough star of the year. You're gonna have to tell me. Last two months of the year, two fights, two underdog performances, two comeback wins. 
Chris Who Curtis. Chris Curtis, baby. Actually, Chris yep. Curtis could be a consideration of male fighter of the year because he had four fights before even joining the UFC and won all four of those. And this was a guy who yeah. last year had retired from the sport and just thought, you know what, I'm going to just keep going, see what happens. Finally gets that shot in the UFC on a Madison Square Garden show, wins his mm-hmm. UFC debut and then gets another one in December. So, yes, great call. It completely crossed my mind, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, and he he was you know kind of getting his ass kicked by Phil Hawes. One punch knocked Phil Hawes out in the first round. Wasn't exactly getting his ass kicked versus um, Brendan Allen, um, but was you know struggling early on in that fight. Then ended up knocking him out, and he was a two or three to one underdog in both of those fights. So uh, I myself was a, a bit of a skeptic of the guy coming into the UFC. I was happy to be proven wrong, and the guy's a nasty southpaw boxer. Got power in both of his hands, and I'm excited to see where he's he's going. I mean, he's already top. 10 in the middleweight division in my opinion knocking out those two guys on on short notice both of those fights on short notice by the way too so can't say enough good things about chris curtis and we can't say enough good things about our next category of the year now this is one of those which a lot of these a lot of these topics that we've been talking about here there's a lot of choices in mind of what could potentially be the winner i think it's very clear cut who's going to win this next category which is of course upset of the year before we get to that though which we'll talk about in a lot more detail what are the honorable mentions what is sort of two on three in your list um honestly i only have two written down for this this category because i think they're both you know pretty clear cut um the number two for me would be gerald mirashar versus mahmoud muradov uh i believe gm3 was a five to one underdog in this fight and you know, the fight was just competitive from the jump till the end. I mean, it, that this was just an example where the betting line was just completely wrong. Everyone was overrating Muradov. GM3, very underrated fighter. And he just had a very under-the-radar year. You tweeted out about this, Carl. It got a, a bunch of attention a few days ago. Mirshart, three wins, three submissions, right? Fabinski, Muradov, and Stolfutz. And, you know, just great year for our board GM3. So happy to see him. And uh, he's my pick for the second biggest upset of the year as a 5-1 to one underdog. And my second choice would be one which happened, I believe it was around February or March this one happened, which is um, Fluffy Hernandez submitting Rodolfo Vieira. Now, a lot of that was maybe self-inflicted on Rodolfo's part. He gassed out trying to finish the fight, but... The idea of, I mean, Hernandez is a solid grappler in himself, but to submit multi-time jiu-jitsu phenom Adolfo Vieira with a guillotine, that deserves a lot of praise. Yeah, it was an uh, it was an arm in guillotine, which is an even more impressive submission, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, I mean. You know, he, you did mention that he gassed out there, but Vieira was able to get takedowns, was able to get dominant positions. It looked like he almost had an arm triangle at one point. So it, it went best case scenario for Vieira. He had the top position. He almost had the submission. And Hernandez was still able to fight his way out of that, beat him up on the feet, and then choke him out. So uh, that is a great, great pick for um I mean that could be that could be upset of the year, comeback of the year, and submission of the year all in one fight. So it, it would get my submission of the year choice if we had that as one of our categories. Uh, another honorable mention before we talk about the big one. What about big tuna Ben Parrish beating Christian Edwards in Bellator? I remember that one. Yeah, he was a he was a six to one underdog in that one too. Um, 
Yeah, that was that was. A, I don't have a vivid recollection of that fight, but I remember that being like a funny moment when that happened. So that's a good shout out there. We are obviously going to talk about the big one, though. There is only one winner when it comes to upset of the year. So take you back December, UFC 269. What's going through your head when you see Juliana Pena locking that rear naked choke on Nunes? I mean, I was I was laughing the entire round. I mean, um, I know I I think you were probably more elated than I was to see the demise of of Nunes. Um, but I was just I was just laughing the entire time. I mean, the way they were trading, the way that. Nunez is claimed to be the greatest woman fighter of all time, yet she is standing there in the center with her feet squared up, just trading punches with Juliana Pena, eating jabs. I mean, I, I, it was one of the biggest collapses, the biggest questionable moments. You're like, what the, what the fuck is going on? What am I witnessing right now? And then her tapping out to that choke like that. I mean, it was just pure exhaustion from Nunez. Uh, but Easily, easily upset of the year, upset of the century, possibly. I mean, it's really up there with the the top three of all time. I mean, this is such an easy category to decide what number one is. We almost have to compare it to the other biggest upsets of all time, like um, Sarah, GSP. Um, I think that's really the, the, the one you have to compare it to. But in my opinion, this one is even bigger than that because we know GSP is an all-time great, one of the greatest fighters ever, but he had not solidified himself as the GOAT at that point in time. So it was a crazy upset that Sarah pulled that off, but Nunes was already considered to be the greatest women's fighter of all time. Was uh, Pena was an 8-1 to one, uh, underdog. She lost round one. It didn't seem like she had a whole lot of hope going into round two. And to completely turn it all around and defeat that and overcome the odds, easily upset of the year, probably upset of the decade in MMA. I think what made it more surreal for a lot of people as well was that there were a lot of people out there that maybe thought Juliana could cause problems through being sort of durable grappler. But this win happened pretty much on the feet. That Pena just came in and just said, look, I'm just going to go out there with my sort of Bart Simpson wild overhands if you get hit <laughs> just your own fault. And yet one would connect and then another would connect and then you realize, oh my God, she's lighting her up here. It was just surreal to watch. So, uh, yep, that's just the best word to describe it, surreal. I mean, no one would have thought that that happened. Like you said, people might have think, yeah, she could come back and maybe have some success in the grappling um, but no one was expecting her dad to be outboxing and hurting her on the feet. And just, just one of the most uh, unexpected outcomes of a fight that we'll ever see, probably. Certainly so. And we have to give Juliana all the credit in the world. She's your female fighter of the year. Um, I personally went with Marina, but definitely deserves all the credit in the world. It's one of the easiest categories to choose from from this year. This one definitely. could be a little bit tougher to choose from. We are all big MMA fans. We like to appreciate some of the more intricacies of the sport, the submission game, the grappling side of things. But we all love a good knockout. What is your KO of the year? Yeah, and one thing you mentioned in the last category I was just going to touch on, we're not going to do officially submission of the year, but I would give uh, Andre Muniz's uh, arm-breaking armbar over Jacare my sub of the year. Um, but getting back over to knockout of the year, I have a kind of long list for this one. I'm not going to be mentioning the bottom uh, five or six for this one. But uh, my knockout of the year has to be a non-UFC fight, and it's going to be uh, Sergio Pettis versus Kyoji Horiguchi. Um, I think when you combined 
the fact that he was losing the first 17 or 18 minutes of the fight. I mean, look to be getting outclassed on the feet, getting taken down, getting outgrappled for long periods of time. Um, it was one of those fights where you need a knockout to win. And not only did he get the knockout, he did it in incredible fashion with that, that missed head kick to the turnaround spinning back fist. I mean, not only was it an amazing knockout to witness by itself, the technique alone, but when you add in the circumstances of the fight, I think it's got to be knockout of the year. My personal choice, now I maybe might come across like a bit of a little bit of a casual. I love the spinning stuff. And there were two big spinning knockouts that really stuck in my mind for 2021. The first one, one name that maybe might not come to mind immediately, Ignacio Bahamondes versus Roosevelt Roberts. That was on one of the fight night cards. And then our good friend Chris Barnett up against John Vellante. Yeah, you're, you're forgetting one, too. Uh, Jiri Prochaska's spinning elbow knockout over Reyes, too. Well, I choose not to remember that one because I do like Dominic Reyes. Oh, and I, I was, on, I was uh, you know, a big fan of Jiri that week. And, you know, that, that fight could be, you know, one of the fights of the year, too. Only two rounds, only about 10 minutes, but just nonstop so action. action nonstop bombs being landed and then Jiri to land a walk-off face plant spinning back elbow. I mean, that that's that's top five for me as well. Um what about uh, what about Corey Sandhagen? Sandhagen flying knee over Edgar, that's one. Um one one that is um I think my favorite knockout of the year. Um, it's got to be Dustin Poirier knocking out Connor. I mean, don't forget that was this year. That was the third card of the year way back in January. Um, you know, Poirier obviously lost the first fight was a three to one underdog going into that fight. Lost round one versus Connor and same kind of same story as Payne. just turned it all around in round two and was able to get that knockout and, you know, put Connor out cold too. So that's my favorite knockout of the year. I think one of the things I liked about the Poirier versus Connor knockout, it wasn't so much the actual knockout itself, which is fairly simple enough. It was the slow build towards it, seeing mm. Dustin working on that leg, seeing him neutralize Connor's movement. And then it's that moment just before the finishing sequence where he catches him with that left hand and you see Connor stumble a little bit. And then he fires the left, Connor backs up against the fence. And that's where like Felder and DC are just going berserk as Dustin starts teeing him off. It was maybe not so much in the actual quality of the knockout itself. Maybe it struggles in that regard. But it is a good knockout in that sort of where were you sort of feeling watching that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that was my like biggest surprising moment of year. That's probably like the loudest I screamed all year watching fights. And uh, I mean... The way he hunted that combination and was just stringing those boxing combinations together, I mean, that was just art to watch from Dustin Poirier. Um, and to find that that short right hook that eventually put him really out, uh, just, you know, incredible to watch. And um, some some other shout-outs I'll give. Um, Nganu knocking out Stipe, Rose's head kick mm. over Wei Lee, and Derek Lewis's uppercut on uh, Curtis Blades. Um, a lot of good ones. I mean, that was that was a fault of Curtis Blades' part because of how telegraphed it was. But everyone thought Derek Lewis was going to get smashed in that fight. I just thought it was just yeah. going to be 25 minutes of lay and prayer and just see him just time that knockout perfectly and get the, and the way his to... body felt the way his body like slowly just mm. melted into the ground and then the two hammer fists after it um that was incredible well you could see and curtis's the... body like jolt up when the impacts made it's frightening to yeah. look back in hindsight 
It looks like he looks like he took like a Barrett 50 caliber shot to the head. The way his body just stiffens up. And uh, last but not least, we got to give a shout out. Not exactly to uh, he didn't have any great knockouts per se, but tied to Ivasa, three first mm-hmm. round knockouts. Or no, not one was in the second round, but three knockouts, three fights. Very good year for uh, to Ivasa. I'm going to call out some non-UFC knockouts as well. Now, most people talk about Rose versus Whaley when it comes to great women's knockouts. What about um, what about uh, Danielle Taylor? Poor getting poor head kick there. What what yeah? What was the girl's uh, Emily Ducati? Ducati. Right? That's her name. Ducati versus yeah. Taylor. I think it was second or third Nasty. round. Catches him with that right hook and then that head might have kick been to first, finish it first off. First round, honestly. Yeah, yeah. The right hook like froze her, mm. and then just the killer instinct to go for that. Um, and then I ha- I'll just rifle off the last four. I have um, uh, Alessio De Kirico. Head kick knocked out Joaquin Buckley, and then he was the victim of a, a head kick knockout from Abdul Razak Al Hassan. I looked at uh, Li Jing Liang knocked out Pontinibio as a big underdog in the beginning of the year. And the funniest, probably funniest knockout is uh, Matt Semmelsberger knocking out Nick Diaz's buddy Martin Sano in 15 seconds with that massive overhand. I think I mentioned a lot that, of great actually. knockouts. Most people were talking about great- people were talking about like quirky moments from uh, 2021. And the whole Martin Sano story was one of my sort of surreal moments because he was basically brought in as a favor to Nick to get him to fight at 266. And poor guy's career ends in about 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they it was kind of like a Make-A-Wish Foundation thing. Like, they let him, oh, yeah, we'll let you have a fight. And it just went, like, the worst way possible. Poor guy. There was nothing that went wrong, however, when it comes to our next category of the year. So we've already talked about the best female of 2021. What about our best male? Very competitive category. I think two men more than any of the others are standing out. So I'm going to name my own and we'll see if you name the other one. My personal opinion, and once again, he's been having a fantastic last couple of years. But once again, Kamara Usman taking that jump up in quality and going from not only a fighter that people respected but didn't really love, to arguably being one of the most entertaining champions in the UFC right now. Yeah, I mean, he he turned his reputation around big time. I mean, he had been kind of known for not having the most exciting fights, using his wrestling a lot more, but going over to Trevor Whitman, um, improving his boxing, three wins, two knockouts, um, I mean, I think the Gilbert Burns fight was, pro- I think, my most impressive one just because it was a new opponent. We had already seen him beat Masvidal. We had already seen him beat Colby. Um, he beat Masvidal in more emphatic fashion. He actually probably made the fight a little bit closer against Colby than it was the first time. But, um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with somebody else. I'm going to go with the other guy, and that is Charles Oliveira. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think when... You consider that they're both brand new matchups, Chandler and Poirier. The fact that both of them were tough round ones. I mean, he got dropped in round one versus Chandler. He got lit up with punches in round one versus Poirier. And the way he was both able to turn both of those fights around and able to finish them, uh, one by knockout, one by submission, um, 
his his striking has continued to show improvement. You know, the guy is a nasty clinch fighter, really good knees and elbows. That is something that he, he wasn't really known for a few years ago. He was actually kind of known for not being the toughest guy, for kind of wilting in a few fights. And he has just completely erased that. I mean, the guy has become one of the most uh, resilient and durable fighters in the UFC. And for him to pull off both of those comeback finishes in the title fights, um, you know, I was skeptical of calling him the undisputed champion, but obviously defeating Dustin Poirier solidifies him as the undisputed best lightweight in the world. And uh, I, I'll give Oliveira my pick. And I think what makes it even more impressive when it comes to Charles Oliveira is Oliveira's mental fortitude was always seen as one of his weaknesses. When he faced adversity, like we saw in his last loss against Paul Felder, he would just he just seemed to crumble the moment a fight wouldn't go his way. And yet now we've had two situations in a row where he's faced adversity early on, Chandler came very close to finishing him, Dustin Poirier dropped him, and in both situations managed to come back and get the wins against two very highly regarded dangerous opponents. I'm very similar to you, I thought. There's maybe some question marks about Charles, is he maybe a paper champion? But he's proven to everybody now he's worthy of holding that belt. And I'm going to be very interested to see who he fights next, because... Whether he chooses to take the money fight and he's trying to shoehorn Connor back into another title match, which I don't want to see, but we know how the UFC works, or whether he takes that fight against Justin Gidgey, I'm very curious to see where the Charles Oliveira story goes next. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's it really, really has got to be Gagey. Um, I mean... If they gave it to Connor, that would just be, you know, so inexcusable. I mean, the guy hasn't won a fight at lightweight in over five years, right? Yeah, November 2016, over five years. Are they really going to give a guy a title shot who hasn't won in five years, who's on a two-fight losing streak, who has lost three out of his past four fights? I mean, that would be so embarrassing um, for the sport of MMA for them to give Connor. But like you said, it's not even out of the question. And it would um, be Dan, it would be a waste of the Connor brand as well because in, in my opinion I think it's reached the stage now where Connor Connor's a celebrity fighter now he's in the same sort of boat as say a Masvidal or a Diaz brother so give him somebody give him sort of like a fun exhibition match that you can build big money on and use Oliveira against Gagey just two birds together rather than just trying to cash in solely on the belt the belt isn't important yep. to Connor anymore. Yeah, very, very accurate. And, I mean, he would get smoked by Oliver, in my opinion. Um, so that would be a, a bad mistake. It, it should be Gaethje. Um, you know, uh, Dana was, you know, on record saying that Chandler Gaethje was for the number one title. And uh, it, it should really be Gaethje next. But it's still only like an 80% chance that they give it to him. So um, what, are your, what are some of your honorable mentions for Fighter of the Year? Well, Daniel Cormier got a lot of ridicule when he suggested this man. And I actually think there's method to his madness. What a good year Cyril Garner's had. He was a guy who 12 months ago was ranked 14th in the heavyweight division. Now he's the number one contender. And in the eyes of some people, is the bookmaker's favorite to beat Francis Ngannou next month. I think that's a remarkable rise. 
Yeah, great year for him. Really enjoyed watching him. Some of his fights haven't been the most entertaining. The Rose and Strike and the Volkov fight, not really um, great fights. You know, I mean, even the Lewis fight, none of them were great. But I mean, the guy is so elusive. He is so different as a heavyweight fighter that we're not used to seeing. And the heavyweights are just, you know, running into a brick wall when they're when they're facing him because they can't hit him. They can't trace him down. He's very fast. He's elusive. He can target the head, the body, the legs well. The only knock on gain is he's not a great finisher. He doesn't look to pour it on. But, I mean, he's a smart, calculated, methodical fighter. And uh, that's not something we're used to seeing at heavyweight. So I really enjoy watching him fight. Um, some other names I have mentioned. Blonde Brunson, baby. Three wins. Three, not not three finishes. He, um, is it three wins? He beat Holland. He beat Till. Does he have another one, or am I just imagining this? I think it's a, I think um, it's a five fight winning streak. I think only two came this year. Oh, okay. Well, still, I I think he, he's on an incredible one. Really love watching him, and uh, he was the underdog in both of those fights as well. Somehow he was an underdog to Kevin uh, Holland. Um, so really enjoyed uh, you know watching him, betting on him this year. Uh, the gamer Mateusz Gamrot, three and zero in the year. Three finishes, uh, knocked out Holtzman, submitted Jeremy Stevens, knocked out uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira. That's a great year. Um, any other honorable mentions you have? We mentioned GM3. I have a few more, but I'll pass it back to you before you Well, go. Chris Curtis obviously mentioned there. He's had six wins in uh, 2021. Uh, actually, I was just doing some research there, just going off on a bit of, bit of a tangent. Um, Derek Brunson, uh, in his last three UFC main events, because we always win the poll on INC, I think it was something like, I think it was 21% for him to beat Shabazian, which is surreal now, bearing in mind where both of their careers have gone. It was 19% for him to beat Holland and 25% for him to beat Darren Till. So a lot of people criminally underrating Derek Brunson. Yeah. And, you know, no matter who he faces next, I guess, I guess, have they announced him fighting Cannoneer? Cannoneer is happening in February. That's going to be interesting. I was going to say uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he's the underdog again. I think he probably will be a slight underdog to Cannoneer just because Cannoneer is really hard to take down and hold down. But, I mean, Brunson is just like a notorious underdog. If he fought Whitaker, if he fought Adesanya, he's going to be the underdog to both of those guys. So this guy is comfortable in the underdog role and, uh, you know, just a really fun guy to follow on Twitter. Great guy. Um, and Blond Brunson is this different. Um, and then the last three guys I'll give a shout out to Daniel Rodriguez. I think he went three and zero in the year, beat Mike Perry, beat uh, Preston Parsons, and beat Kevin Lee. Uh, Islam Mahachev, three wins, three finishes. Uh, finished Dan Hooker, finished Thiago Moises, and he finished uh, Drew Dober, all, all uh, by submission, right? And uh, Kaikar France had two mm. first-round knockouts, Cody Garbrandt, Hadjirio Bontarin, great year for him as well. So, um, you know, those last few guys I mentioned, they're not really in contention for the top fighter of the year, but I still felt the need to give them some respect and, uh, you know, recognize how great of a year they had. And I'd like to give some respect as well to... He maybe didn't have the best year in terms of the results, but Corey Sandhagen, potential knockout of the year, arguably beat TJ Dillashaw, which was a fantastic fight, and a potential mm-hmm. fight of the year candidate against Piotr Jan. Yes, he went one and two, but again, another Probably guy... Probably two and one, yeah. Yeah, very similar to Michael Chandler in that it's a guy who maybe didn't have the results go his way, but saw his stock rise. And Piotr Jan as Definitely. well, it also deserves consideration because 
let's be honest, he won the Aljo fight before that mistake. And then mm-hmm. the fight with Sandhagen. So I give him a shout out as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Peter Yan fan. I just, you know, he, he did make a, a huge, huge mistake mm-hmm. in the Yan fight or in the Aljo fight. And, you know, that that mistake alone, you know, really, really messed up his entire career and kind of threw him out of contention for a fighter of the year. But otherwise, he probably would have been in that. But yeah, good shout on on Sandhagen as well. So we go to our final category. It's actually working out quite well because we're just coming up to the hour as well on the show. Our final category of the year, and we're saving this quite appropriately for the main event. It's our fight of the year. A lot of top candidates for this one. Where does your money go to? Oh man, I have another long list. I have, <laughs> I think, like thir- I have, I think, I have thirteen fights written down. But uh, I'm obviously not going to share all of them. Um, so. My number one fight of the year, it's a fight that I don't think a lot of people are going to jump to mind to think of. It is Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Miguel Baeza. What a good fight. I just love the fight. So when I'm thinking about, like, fight of the year, I like to have a fight that is, you know, competitive throughout, has some momentum swings, um, like— I can't put, put like a fight like um, Volkanovski versus Ortega as fight of the year. I can't because it was uh, it was a fun fight. It was a great fight. It had uh, probably the round of the year. Yes. But I mean, 80, 90 percent of that fight was Volkanovski in control, winning the fight decisively. I can't give that a fight of the year. Uh, Baeza, one round one against Ponzinibbio was smashing Ponzinibbio's leg. Um, somehow Ponzinibbio you know, push through that leg pain. We see, we typically see guys legs shut down and that's typically the fight. You don't see guys recover from that leg damage, but Ponzinibbio took over in round two, won that round. And then round three was back and forth. Baeza fought back. Well, it was a back and forth round three. Ponzinibbio was majority in control, but Baeza also did his best to swing for the fences to, to make a knockout happen. And up until the final bell, they were just trading punches. And then the last punch of the fight, Ponzinibbio lands a right hand and Baeza's mouthpiece just goes flying across the cage. And it's just like, you couldn't script a fight better than that. Uh, I just found it, you know, incredible and rewatching the fight, I, I I think it still holds up as, you know, just amazing. I'm glad you chose that one as well, because I think that's one which has been criminally overlooked. Again, I think part of that may be due to the fact that it was on a fight night. Um, obviously, both guys maybe don't have the profile of some of the other contenders on this, but I'm really glad you included that one. Um, very mm-hmm. similar reason why one of my honorable mentions was Mike Davis versus Mason Jones on the January card, yep. which I thought was a great I match. I had that written. Uh, for me, though, I am going with one of the more mainstream choices. Um, call me a casual or not, but Justin Gagey versus Michael Chandler. What a war that was. Yeah, but I, I rewatched that last night. And um, yeah, I was I was a little underwhelmed rewatching it. But I mean, it, it's still when you're watching it live. I think that was one of the, the craziest like fights live all year. So I don't want to overanalyze it and say oh when i rewatched it it wasn't that great but yeah when you watched it live uh round one one of the best rounds all year um and then even though chandler kind of was was beaten in round three he, he he did his best you know was walking forward eating punches made it as entertaining as possible and uh like justin Gaethje said after the fight those guys were alive in the wrong time they should be fighting in the death in the coliseum and i truly believe both of those guys would be happy to fight to each other to the death uh for you know people's entertainment that's just the type of guy those guys are 
one of the things that I think this year, especially 2021, is really highlighted to me. Like, I've been... Now, look, there's some maybe some question marks over whether or not the UFC are doing the right thing by having the crowds back. But a fight like Gagey versus Chandler shows to me how important the crowd is to make a fight feel more special. Yeah. Yeah, the crowd being back um, was pivotal. I mean, look at... um. 260 to 261. We had Stipe versus uh, Ngannou fighting in the UFC Apex, a heavyweight title fight with like 50 people in attendance. That's that's no way to have a fight. And then the second we went to UFC 261, from the very first fight on the prelims through the main card, it was just bananas. You know, just the crowd was going crazy. There were injuries. There was legs snapping. There were knockouts. There were head kick knockouts. There were, you know, it was just incredible, and the, the the crowd elevated that to a whole new level. So, you know, I totally agree. The crowd was a great addition to that one. One of the things that Gagey versus Chandler did as well, it overlooked what was a fantastic fight between Burgos and Quarantillo. So I think that was a fantastic mm-hmm. match. Keeping on the Shane Burgos theme, I think the Edson Barboza match, also very good. Um, by night main event, one, probably the best Apex fight potentially was Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. Terrific fight, yep. Um, uh, Corey, TJ, you mentioned that one earlier. That's up there. Um, Brad Riddell versus Drew Dober. Uh, Pedro Munoz versus uh, Jimmy Rivera. I love that one. Um, And then my pick for number three fight of the year, Jose Aldo versus Rob Fon. I mean, I just, I was just in awe of Jose Aldo in that fight. And, um, you know, Font was having competitive moments and then Aldo would swing the momentum right back. And it got a little bit, you know, dominant towards the end of that fight with Aldo just kind of laying on top of him. But just the, the, the back and forth momentum swings and the technique shown in that fight, just incredible. Uh, I love Jose Aldo to death. And, um, we're talking mostly about striking wars, back and forth striking wars. One of the best grappling fights mm-hmm. I've ever seen. Carlos Diego Ferreira versus Gregory Gregor Gillespie. Gillespie. Another fight with momentum. I mean, towards the end of round one, it looked like Carlos Diego Ferreira was about to TKO Gillespie. And then Gillespie comes back in round two after just getting smashed. And he gets right back to work and ends up smashing CDF for the finish. Just incredible back and forth there. So... Uh, I mentioned Reyes versus Jiri earlier. You mentioned uh, Rodriguez Holloway, Jan Sanhagen. I mean, I think this year has had a a good 10 to 15 elite A-plus fights that are great to rewatch. So really grateful for all these guys for, you know, putting out these amazing fights. And that, of course, is the end of the uh, recap show, sort of our award shows were. Uh, you sort of touched on it there, John. It's It's been a fantastic year for mixed martial arts, not only the UFC, but the wider promotions as well. What do you think it is? If Is there anything in particular that, that really stands out for you? If you have to say 2021 was a great year in MMA because of dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Let me think about that. So I, I think actually judging, we, we did a lot better this year. The judges got some shit. Um, you know, they're always going to be some critics of the judges. But I remember 2020 having a few really high um, impactful fights being affected by the judging like um, Figueredo, Jan and uh, or uh, Figueredo, Moreno, um, Pedro Munoz, Frankie Edgar, you know, main event bad decisions. We didn't really have any of those uh, this year. I think the worst decision all year was Miranda Mavford getting robbed against uh, 
uh, Macy Barber. So I think I'll give some credit to the judges for doing a better job scoring the fights. Um, you know, I just think that the, the elite of of MMA is getting so good. Like the, the difference between the top five and the rest of the division, I think that gulf is growing. So when we finally get two top five fighters matched up against one another, I think they're just producing just incredible fights. Um, and, you know, we're getting a lot more high-level matchups. So, um, yeah, I think that would be my reasoning. I sort of touched on this when we talked about, obviously, the crowds coming back. But, unfortunately, through no circumstance of their own, I think a lot of those UFC events, those pay-per-views, and those big title fights just didn't feel special. I mean, the UFC did a good job bearing in mind what they had to work with. But, I mean, when you had something like Stipe versus DC, which is sort of like a big, acclaimed trilogy fight who was finally going to be the best UFC heavyweight of all time, all that marketing taking place in the apex with just a few hundred people, it just didn't feel special. Getting the crowds back, yeah. it had that big-time feeling to those pay-per-views again. And when you hear the 20,000, 30,000 people in Madison Square Garden screaming their heads off at Gagey versus Chandler and cheering on Usman against Colby, it felt, it felt bigger. And I think that... Mm-hmm. And I think the UFC is sort of find a like sort of solid middle ground where they have the fight nights at the apex, which it helps their um, finances as well because they have to save on logistics. But I think that we have this situation where fight nights at the apex, smaller events. If you're a massive fan, you can watch all of those. But if not, here's the pay per views where you got your twenty, thirty thousand people, and it feels like a big proper UFC show again. Yeah, that is that is really big. That's something I hadn't totally considered. Um, one thing I was looking up in the meantime, yeah, last year, uh, Figueredo Moreno, Felder Hooker, Hill Waterson, Reyes Jones, and Munoz Edgar, those are five main events, and I considered all five of those to be bad decisions. So when you're talking about one out of every eight main events ending by a bad decision, uh, that did put kind of a damper on the, on the year last year. So I'll give some credit to the judges. I think they, they stepped up and did a, be- a better job this year. No, Angela Hill disagree. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> No Angela Hill slander on my timeline. None of it. None of it. I think I think Angie's fantastic, and she treats all she treats these sort of setbacks with uh, a good lightheartedness. Yeah, yeah, I, I love Angela. Yeah, to to the death. Yeah. Uh, well, John, uh, we have come to the end of our preview of our preview show. I'm still stuck in that sort of mode. Our recap show of 2021. It's been an absolute pleasure. Bearing in mind the short notice as well, this has all been sort of very hodgepodge, sort of slapped together but i think the fans will appreciate it you seem to have really enjoyed yourself uh thank you very much for taking time out your day this will hopefully be uploaded new year's eve so share it with all your friends and your family and if people want to get in touch with you where's the best place to go you could follow me uh, on Twitter um, at UFO underscore UFC. And you can find my podcast, the Martian MMA podcast, uh, the podcast with my buddy Ozzy. We talk about the betting lines before every single UFC event. You can find us at Martian MMA on YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, um, and Spotify as well. So just search me up, follow me on there, give, give me a listen. I might even do a recap show of my own similar to this, maybe talking a little bit more about bets and whatnot. Um, 
maybe adding a few more categories. But yeah, this has been a blast. I'm I'm grateful Carl hit me up to do this, and I hope you all enjoyed us talking about this uh, 2021 recap year. So thanks to everyone on the INC Live channel, and uh, I'll see you all before the UFC 270 preview show. Certainly so. And one final thing before we actually leave, however, uh, we did sort of touch on this earlier on in the show, but we've got that Chewy to do. Yeah, we gotta we gotta record that. Yeah, well, you... I tell you what, I, I tell you what, I'm gonna do actually. I'm gonna get it out the way right now. So I've got myself my apple juice here. Unfortunately, I don't drink. Uh, tell you what, I'm gonna have a lot of people. I actually told my uh, friends that I was actually gonna do this, and they were just like, "What the hell?" But you make a statement on the internet, you've got to stick to it. So here goes nothing. <sighs> That's not that's not good. That is not good at all. <laughs> good thing it's apple it. juice though, but um and it's a good thing I don't wear these trainers anymore because they um go nowhere near my feet now. Good, good. You don't want to have like some sock taste in that apple juice. <laughs> but I'll, yeah, I'll, so I'm gonna re I'm gonna record mine and I'll we'll upload it before the, the two seventy preview show. I'll do mine separately. And that's, no right and that's coming in three weeks' time as well, UFC two seventy. Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gane in what many people are considering one of the most eagerly anticipated heavyweight fights of all time. That's coming up in three weeks' time. I'm going to be there for that one. Hopefully so will John. Uh, we hope you are as well. This has been Carl Birmage. That's been John Martian. And See you guys later. Is, and it's been the INC. Thank you very much for watching. Bye-bye for now.